0: Hear the word of the Lord found there in Luke chapter 22, verse 39. And Jesus came out and went as he was wont to the Mount of Olives, and his disciples also followed him. And when he was at the place, he said unto them, Pray that ye enter not into temptation. And he was withdrawn from them about a stone's cast and kneeled down and prayed saying, Father, if thou be willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. And there appeared an angel unto him from heaven, strengthening him. And being in in an agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was, as it were, great drops of blood falling down to the ground. And when Jesus rose up from prayer... And was come to his disciples, he found them sleeping for sorrow, and said unto them, Why sleep ye? Rise and pray, lest ye enter into temptation. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Lord Jesus Christ, we do come before thee this morning. And we plead that as thy word is read and preached, that we would receive understanding, that we would come away from this passage loving Christ more, or finding in him for the first time a great Redeemer who is the lover of our souls. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. As we come to our passage this morning, I think as I come to this passage of two gardens that are depicted in the scriptures. Think of that first garden there in Genesis, the Garden of Eden, where the first man, our first father, fell into sin and brought ruin Upon the entire human race. I think of that second garden that we see depicted in our passage this morning, and that is the Garden of Gethsemane, which means oil press, a garden where olive trees were growing that were pressed for oil. And it is in this second garden that the last Adam agonized in prayer and attained victory to complete the work that the Father gave him to do. This section on the passion of the Lord Jesus Christ is the high point of Luke's account of the gospel. We have seen wonderful miracles. We've seen great teaching by the Master. But here is that high point in all of Luke's gospel, the passion of the Lord Jesus Christ. We've seen preparation made. For the Lord Jesus Christ and his going to the cross, preparation, being made for Christ, betrayal and death. We saw that preparation there in that Passover meal and Jesus giving for the first time that administration of the Lord's Supper, which is the new Passover. We don't celebrate the old Passover, we celebrate the new Passover. Jesus was preparing his disciples, he was preparing himself for these events that would occur that very night he was there in the garden. I want us to see here in this passage the self-witness of the Lord Jesus Christ concerning his identity. Who is he? What effect does he have on us? Many people can read the Gospels and have no clue about who he is. But Jesus gives that self-identifying witness of himself here in the Garden of Gethsemane. So what effect does that have upon us as we consider here from this passage what Luke reveals to us through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit? Luke begins to pull back the veil so that we might have more and more glimpse of Jesus as the divine Messiah. Charles Spurgeon, the great Baptist preacher, says that this scene shows us grief that is unknown at any other period in the life and ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. And here we find the Lord Jesus Christ in agony and anguish, there in the garden. But what relevance does that have for us? What, what comfort and consolation does that have for the believer? Jesus agonized. It was anguishing there in the garden. Well, as we look to this passage this morning, I want us to consider there the prayer of the Lord Jesus. As you aware, are well aware of the events that led up to this The Lord Jesus Christ told his disciples that he would be betrayed by one of his own. He gives a rebuke to Peter as we saw last week who Satan desired to have Peter who denied the Lord Jesus Christ three times. He foretold that that would happen and that will happen as we continue to look through the account. As Jesus was... Rejected even by his closest friend. As Jesus was rejected by the religious leaders and teachers. As Jesus continued to walk the Via Della Rosa, that road to suffering. Here we find the Lord Jesus Christ in prayer. There have been those on occasion in my own life who've asked me, why should we pray? If God is sovereign as you Calvinists believe, if he is in control of all things, why should you pray? You know what my response is, it's always the same answer. Because the Lord Jesus Christ gives us a picture of prayer. Here in this occasion, on this occasion after the Passover celebration, Jesus under the old administration celebrates the old Passover. But then he applies to that old Passover, that new application in what is called the Eucharist or the Lord's Supper or the new Passover, which is showing forth the death of the Lord Jesus Christ and suffering on behalf of his people. And so they had been there in Luke's account of that upper room discourse where Jesus is speaking to his disciples before his death. Now they've come to the end of that Passover celebration. They've celebrated together the sacrament of the Lord's Supper that Jesus instituted. And there it says in verse 39 that Jesus came out. Matthew and Mark, in their account of the gospel, Matthew chapter 26 and Mark chapter 14, they show that they had sang a hymn at the conclusion of the Passover service, most likely Something from uh, Psalm 116 to 118. They sang a song. But here, Luke just simply says, And Jesus came out and went. They had just celebrated the Passover. They had just sang that psalm that reminded them of the salvation that was accomplished by the Lord Jesus Christ. That he would indeed deliver his people from the power of sin they had sung and celebrated and now jesus comes to this occasion when he went to the mount of olives and went to that place of prayer we've seen this in luke's gospel before but there are many occasions when luke records that jesus took time to pray and i think that's so significant And it really makes me shudder when I think of it that the Lord Jesus Christ in perfect humanity took time to pray. And yet here as he comes to that place of prayer, it says he came and went as he want. Now there in the authorized translation, as he was want is a perfect translation if you understand English. Well, that doesn't look like English to me. Well, it's old English. But that phrase, as he wants, signifies that he went as it was ordained for him to do. In other words, he did not retreat. He did not hide. But he went to that place of prayer to commune with his father. And so the passage says he went... And as he went, as it was customary for him to do, as it was appointed for him to do, he went to pray. Now that's important to understand because Jesus knew full well. Even in full humanity, he knew full well what his purpose was. He knew that he would be rejected, that he would be arraigned and tried by a court like many of our modern day courts that desire no justice or equity or truth. And he would be beaten, he would suffer and die, and then he would rise again on the third day. Jesus knew every detail of what was to come. And yet Jesus did not retreat from that. Jesus did not hide from that, but he went as it was appointed for him to do. We've already seen that in Luke's gospel, that Jesus with great desire headed where? To Jerusalem. Jesus went on that course that was laid out for him by the Father before the creation of the world, went to lay down his life for sinners. And so he went. He did not retreat, he did not, he was not afraid. But here we find the Lord Jesus Christ communing with his Father. Now John is the only gospel that gives us a full account of what took place in that upper room on the night in which Jesus was betrayed. But in Luke's account of the gospel, you have, or in John's account of the gospel, you have John 17... That high priestly prayer that Jesus prays for his people. Chapter 18 of John's Gospel records Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. Now, I've said before that Luke doesn't follow a detailed chronology. Most of the Gospel writers don't, and there's there's a reason for that. But as John shows us, he prayed for them and then went to the garden. And you don't get that in great detail here. But Jesus comes to the Mount of Olives and his disciples are following their master, their teacher, their rabbi. And it says, when he was at that place, he said unto them, pray that ye enter not into temptation. There was a sense in which Jesus was warning them that they must pray so that they do not enter temptation. I think oftentimes we just kind of skip over verses like that, particularly this one. But what temptation is Jesus talking about? What does he have in mind when he says, pray that ye enter not into temptation? He's referring to that temptation that they would face in just a few hours. The temptation that Peter faced when he denied the Savior three times when all of his disciples scattered, when Jesus was being betrayed and and taken to that tree to be nailed and put to death, there in that time of temptation that would come to those disciples, he says, pray that ye don't enter into that temptation. And we see a wonderful picture here Of the Lord Jesus Christ in his humanity submitting to the Father. I don't have time to go into all the particulars of that. But the Lord Jesus Christ prayed to the Father in humility. The Gospel of John gives us a greater detail of that union between Christ and the Father. Remember, as Christians, we hold to the teachings of the Scriptures, which... Are summed up in all the creeds and confessions of the church throughout the ages. That Jesus Christ as the son of God became man. And so Jesus in full divinity was with the father and with the spirit. All three members of the Godhead made covenant before the creation of the world. To redeem a people. The Lord God in all of his wisdom and sovereignty, had everything planned out, even before the creation of the world. And yet Jesus shows here his submission and his humility before the Father. There's not some um, idea in this of some hierarchical structure where the Father has more authority than the Son, but there is a sense in which the Father... And the Son and the Holy Spirit fall in the the form that they do. The Holy Spirit proceeds from the Father and the Son. And so there's a great um, Trinitarian formula that we see here. Jesus praying to the Father. But here in his prayer, as he's praying, he gives an example to the disciples. He gives an example to us of the importance of of praying. Pray that ye not enter into temptation. It would be so easy for the disciples as for us to simply neglect this means of grace. But here Jesus by his example and teaching shows us as we see throughout the gospel that prayer is the very thing that is necessary to overcome sin and to overcome temptation. In that first wilderness experience of the Lord Jesus Christ, there when he was led in the wilderness, there in the opening chapters of Luke's gospel, it shows us that that Satan came and, and tempted him. And Jesus in perfect humanity, Jesus who was impeccable in his obedience, did not give in to Satan. But here in this scene, we don't see Jesus fighting and struggling against Satan because he's already told his disciples in John's account of the gospel that he has overcome Satan, that he has overcome this evil one. And he came for the very purpose of destroying the works of the devil. And so Jesus Christ here shows us the importance of prayer that we too need to pray I remember a sermon Dr. Raymond, my systematic theology professor in seminary, preached many years ago. I can still remember the line. He says, every spiritual problem, every sin issue in your life goes back to the lack of prayer. When you don't pray, you leave yourself open to temptation. And we've already seen that in the life of Judas Iscariot. And so we find here the Lord Jesus taking time to pray. He's praying, not just because it was customary for him to pray, but he's getting ready to face the most difficult part of his earthly life. He's coming to the end of his ministry. He is going not as a martyr to the cross, but he is going as one who would lay down his life. It's a ransom for many. Jesus, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sins of the world, came to lay down his life. And so he needed to spend time in prayer because he was going to face the most difficult challenge of his earthly ministry. But notice what he prays in verse 42, and I think this is so important to see. As he knelt down, that was customary, there are traditions of the church, and I think it's a, a very good tradition where they kneel. We're not kneeling before a consecrated bread and wine, but we're kneeling in the presence of Christ for prayer. And so Jesus knelt down and prayed, if thou be willing, Father, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. I want us to note here that we're seeing the Lord Jesus Christ in his humanity coming before the Father in prayer. And he prays, Father, let this cup pass from me. The question comes to mind, what is the cup of which Jesus speaks about here in verse 42? The cup in the Old Testament often symbolized the wrath of God. There in Psalm 11, Psalm 75, Isaiah 51, verse 17, Jeremiah chapter 25, Zechariah chapter 12, all depict a cup that's a symbol, the wrath of God. And some would see that cup as the actual sufferings of Christ. But it's not the sufferings of Christ It's not the physical pain and agony that he wanted removed. But he wanted removed that cup of God's wrath. For Jesus Christ, as I said, does not become a martyr. Jesus Christ becomes a substitute for the sinner. That because we all, as children of our first father Adam are estranged from God. All who hate God love death. And so there's a sense in which the wrath of God is poured out upon all humanity. And yet Jesus came to turn away, to turn aside the wrath of God on behalf of those that he chose in mercy to save. And so Jesus is asking, Father, Take this cup from me. He is anticipating the suffering, not a physical suffering, but he's anticipating the suffering of God's wrath for sin. God's punishment for the sin of all that he laid his life down for was a burden and an anguish for him. There are people who've experienced great pain and suffering. But it's not the physical suffering of the Lord Jesus Christ as it's often depicted in some of these modern movies. But it is the suffering, the anguish of knowing that the Father's wrath would be poured out upon Christ for my sin. For the sins of all who trust in Christ alone for their salvation. Man cannot measure up to God's standard. Man by his own strength and power cannot keep the law of God. But here the text tells us that he asked, he prayed, If thou be what? Willing. Let this cup pass from me. Remove this cup. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine, be done. I think there's two things here we need to understand. This is difficult for people, but we want to have a biblical view of Christ, not just the modern view that many have of the Lord Jesus Christ. Christ is praying, if thou be willing. The Lord Jesus Christ was obedient to the Father even unto death, as Philippians 2, chapter, 8, or chapter 2, verse 8 tells us. But Christ has what? How many natures? You can say it. Two natures. He has a divine nature and he has a human nature. He has always had that divine nature. Christ was with the Father creating the world. The Spirit was with the Father, creating the world. And so the Son of God has always existed, but at, to- at a time and place in history, Christ came, born of a woman, born in submission under the law to redeem those who were under the law. And so the Lord Jesus Christ... Had two natures, a divine and a human nature. But he had two wills. Oh, this is getting really deep. He had a human will. We see it depicted here. If thou be willing, remove this cup. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. And so Jesus had a human will because he was fully human. But because he's fully God, fully divine, he had a divine will. Guess what? Was there a competition between the two wills? You can get two strong-willed people in a room. And immediately you see tension. You see strife. But there was none of that with, between Jesus and the Father. The will of Jesus in his humanity and the will of Jesus in his divinity were not inseparable. They're two distinct natures in one person. There's no confusion in that. But Jesus in his human will prays, Father, if thou be willing, remove this cup from me. Some come to this verse and say, well, Jesus really didn't want to do this. You know, Jesus was really struggling with the thought of, do I really have to go through with this? And that's not the thought at all that Luke brings out. Jesus here is just showing us through the, the, uh, the gospel writer that he is willing and able to do. Remember, it's the humanity of Christ that is at stake here. Remove this cup, nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. Jesus' human will was perfect. Your human will is not perfect. Even on my best day, my human will always wants its way. As I've said before, people do what they do because they want what they want. But Jesus did not do what he wanted as we do because he had a perfect will because his nature was impeccable but also in his full divinity he desired to do the will of God if as several of the cults state Jesus is just simply a man or as one group states that he is simply a man who came and died for every single person How could one human being suffer under the wrath of God? The Lord Jesus Christ could not do it in His full humanity. And it is that divine nature that upholds Him in all of that suffering. But as we think of the agony of the Lord Jesus Christ, He's praying, Take this cup from me. Do not... If thou will, I... Here we see Jesus and his humanity wrestling with this. The anticipation of suffering, punishment for sin. But here in verse 42. Or verse 43. And there appeared an angel unto him from heaven strengthening him. And being in an agony, he prayed more earnestly. Here we see again the Lord Jesus praying here he's praying more earnestly. But notice he is agonizing to the point of sweating great drops of blood. Some want to allegorize this. But what was Luke's profession? Do you remember? He's a physician. He's a doctor. And so he would record some of these things that only a doctor would understand. And there are cases of people... Who have literally sweat drops of blood. The, the um, case is made in point by the French philosopher who said of King Charles the Ninth of France, Voltaire said of him, that in Charles the Ninth's dying, he was sorrowful to death. And he, Voltaire, gives the account of blood oozing from his body, from utter anguish. And there are other accounts of this happening. And so this this literally happened. Jesus was in such earnest praying that he literally sweat drops of blood falling to the ground. Interestingly enough, that skeptic Voltaire that hater of God, could understand that in the life of the king, but he couldn't understand it in the life of the Lord Jesus. But here, he is acting as he often does, according to his divine nature, and at other times according to his human nature. But there Jesus, if he was only a man, could not endure the anguish, the agony of that suffering. That he would encounter. No man could bear up under it. And yet that divine nature within him. Upholds that human nature. Martin Luther said that man is born in sin. Has an impure and hard flesh. That is not quick to feel. But Christ's body was pure. And without sin and felt the weight and terror of death in a far greater way than we. In spite of what Mel Gibson tried to depict in his movie, The Passion of Christ, he never came to the biblical record to find the suffering of Christ because the weight and terror of death was far greater than the sufferings of Christ than it would ever be in our lives I've seen on occasion in my ministry people who have come to the end of life who hated God. And you could see it. They're fighting as they're drawing their last breath. They don't want to go, they're terrified of death. And yet, Jesus Christ, in his agony, is going to experience not only the full weight of the Father's wrath, but all of my sin. And the sins of all for whom he died, he would experience in far greater way. The Lord Jesus Christ takes that cup of wrath, he takes that cup of temptation, he takes that cup of death. As we think there in verse 43, the picture of the angel appearing to him, to strengthen him. Some of the modern translations completely omit verse 43, which I think is absolutely a sad commentary on the state of how we handle Scripture. Luke is the only one to record this count of the angel. But in all the ancient manuscripts, this is included. Angels ministered to Christ on many occasions it says, this angel appeared to him from heaven for the purpose of strengthening him in that hour of need. Rabbi John Duncan, he was a Scottish minister in the 1800s. He was affectionately called rabbi because he was the teacher. So Rabbi John Duncan went to an Anglican minister one Sabbath morning after the service. He went into his vestry and this pastor had been preaching through the temptations of Christ. Rabbi Duncan comes to him and he says, Pastor, he says, I want to know when you're going to get to that section in your sermons on that unnamed angel. The pastor looked at him and he says, Well, who is that? He says, That is the angel that ministered to Christ in the Garden of Gethsemane. He says, I want to hear about that angel because that angel sustained Christ in his suffering. Do you know what? The scripture says that the angel of the Lord encamps around whom? Those who fear him. And in Christ's greatest hour of agony and anguish, an angel was sent from God to strengthen him because in his full humanity, he couldn't bear the weight of it. Yet the father in his good mercy and providence sent his son. Scottish preacher John Trapp says an angel appeared to show that Jesus had made himself lower than the angels. Hebrews chapter 2 verse 7. This is the greatest act of humiliation that Jesus for a season lowered himself that he submitted to the greatest act. Charles Spurgeon says Christ endured a grief unknown because he is the man of sorrows and one acquainted with grief. His sorrow resulted in bloody sweat. He said not sorrow over pain or fear of death because of the wrath of God. Jesus didn't fear death because what does the writer of Hebrews tells us tell us? That Jesus Christ died to take away what? The fear of death for you. As I thought this week, as I talked to Michael yesterday and thought of their son-in-law drawing his last breath and the children and the wife are there grieving and the parents are grieving, or in-laws are grieving. In that moment, as he drew his last breath, that was the sweetest time in his entire life. Because he didn't die in fear of death. But he died with the hope that he would live again forever. And perhaps you're here this morning and you fear death. Oh, I don't want to go in an auto collision. I don't want to go in a drowning accident. I don't want to go in this or that. We don't know what the Lord has prepared for us. We don't know what lot we will face in life. But for the believer, Jesus took away the fear of death so that you might have hope in the midst of death. And here we find not only the agony that he endured, but the relief from this agony. The angel supported the Lord Jesus Christ, gave him strength. Jesus tells his disciples there, it's a a, um, very soft rebuke, but it is a rebuke. When he rose up from prayer, came to his disciples, and what were they doing? They were doing what we sometimes do, falls asleep in prayer. But notice the text says, he found them sleeping for sorrow. What he means there is the disciples were so overcome with sorrow and grief at all they've encountered of all that Jesus has told them. And so the disciples were enduring extreme exhaustion. To the point of heaviness. As I thought about this, a thought came to mind this morning that oftentimes when we become very depressed or when we become stressed, we leave ourselves open to temptation. And you know what the best remedy for someone who is disp- depressed or stressed? More sleep. They were sleeping. But Jesus here says, Why are you sleeping? Second time, verse 40 and verse 46. Rise and pray. Rise and pray, lest you fall into temptation. Uh-huh. Jesus here prays for us. Jesus in his agony praise for his people. But what lessons can we learn from this wonderful passage of Scripture? We learn about the Lord Jesus Christ, that he has real humanity and real divinity, that in his condescension of him coming down to earth, him humiliating himself, taking the sin and the weight of sinners upon himself we see here the love of the Lord Jesus Christ for us full humanity full divinity and yet Christ loves us and by that very act by this wonderful account of his sufferings he shows us that he is a most wonderful Savior that he is a most glorious Savior that he is a most blessed Savior But we also learn a lesson about the exceeding sinfulness of sin. We, in our day, make sin a light thing. Oh, it's not adultery, it's an affair. Oh, it's not drunkenness, it's alcoholism. Oh, it's not self-murder, it's suicide. And so we try to soften the weight of sin. But here, if Jesus bore the agony and the weight of sin, it shows us that it was heinous in God's sight, that even the smallest sin God cannot turn away from. All sin is heinous before God. There's a power and a curse in sin. Jesus, in that high priestly prayer in John 17, prays that we would be delivered from the power of sin, What lessons are there here for us as we pray? Prayer is the only remedy we have in times of trouble. I don't know what troubles I will face in the future. You don't know what troubles you will face. But for many people, they turn to all kinds of different things as a remedy in times of trouble. But for the saint of God, the most precious thing that we can find is refuge and safety in Christ. We can look to Him in those times of trouble. We can call upon Him to pray. Oh, saints of God, there is much more we could be, that could be said about this. As Jesus was certainly physically exhausted but as, in His humanity, but as He bore the weight of sin, He did that For you and I. And this table is a reminder to us that the Lord Jesus Christ in his full humanity and full divinity came to bear the sin of his people. And what a wonderful consolation and comfort that is for us. Here we have the remedy to watch and to pray so that we might resist whatever temptation comes to us. We are weak, we are frail. And yet, without the mercy of God, we could not stand for one moment against the devices of Satan. And we cannot stand against ourselves. But thanks be to God that Jesus Christ did not fail. That Jesus Christ conquered sin and death and the grave. That the Lord Jesus Christ gloriously triumphed. So that those who are in him might have victory over sin and death. Perhaps you're sitting here this morning and have never heard any of this. You've never thought of Christ in this way. But if you do not know this Christ, he is your only hope. In death and in life and without Christ, you have no hope of heaven. You have no hope of eternal life. So I'd urge you today to think upon this Christ. Let us go forth from this passage thinking, who is this Christ? What effect does it have on me? And as we think upon this, as we come to the table of the Lord, let us ask for the Lord's blessing upon us, that we might indeed give glory and honor unto him. who Indeed, is the Lamb of God, who has taken away our sin. Let us pray. Lord Jesus Christ, we do give Thee thanks for Thy wonderful suffering, for all of the agony that Thou borest for us. We thank Thee that in Thy greatest work of complete, total obedience to the Father unto death, You have given us hope You have given us a glorious future. You indeed have taken away the power of sin and death for us. Lord Jesus Christ, apply unto us by the work of Thy Spirit these truths from this passage. May we go forth with greater strength to serve the one who indeed is the resurrection and the life. And we ask this in Thy holy and gracious name. Amen. We will sing together from our Psalter those words from Psalm 22f, words of the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross, My God, my God, oh why have you in my distress?